Welcome, everyone. This is Dan with Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you from indoors again. Got another guest from uh, that I met on Clubhouse in in today. And uh, in means uh, he's in California, and I'm in Indiana, so we're we're nowhere anywhere close to one another. Uh, if you uh, just stumbling into this for the first time, uh, the Spiritual Underground Podcast is primarily a twelve step based podcast. I do explore other avenues of recovery. Uh, I've had some stuff on here about nicotine cessation. I've had some people talk about recovery from trauma, uh, from uh, divorce and various things. And, and you people who listen a lot know my definition for recovery is uh, to find that which was lost or stolen. And uh, my, my personal feelings on this is that through life, we, uh, we lose ourselves. And the process of recovery brings us back to who we really are and our true person, our true voice, uh, our true selves. So uh, I'm all I'm interested in, in talking to people who are successfully doing that. Uh, the main reason is, is so that I can carry this message to help other people know that it's available to them. And that's the main drive for this podcast is to uh, help people know that uh, that there's people out here who who want to help and and people out who, who are examples of 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 that help given to them and working successfully in their lives. So as I said, uh, Oh, I got to talk about 12 step spiritual recovery real quick. 12 step spiritual recovery is a podcast, uh, podcast. It's a book by James Christopher Cone. Uh, it is a uh, updated modern version of the 12 steps. It is geared for three particular niches. Uh, first and foremost, it's geared at people who do not fit the traditional 12 step fellowships, uh, people who do not struggle with, uh, drug or alcohol abuse. Uh, it, it allows these 12 steps to be harnessed uh, without all the talk about alcohol. Um, that sometimes it's tough to see that uh, work in the 12 steps from the original uh, Alcoholics Anonymous book. Um, it's also geared at people who maybe uh, are a little stale in their recovery and want to want to try a new way to doing the steps. Uh, you know, Bill says continue. Uh, lots of times in the book and this is an avenue that someone might continue and not do the same thing they've been doing uh, just a little different seasoning on the 12 steps uh, I promise you there's nothing in it that can contradicts anything in the original 12 steps it is more of an expansion uh, expanding on the concepts and and uh, and a little work that's not asked for in the original 12 steps uh, one of the things is a god inventory where we actually sit down and do an inventory about what we think a higher power is and isn't and um, so 12-step spiritual recovery by James Christopher Cohn. Oh, the third one is there's a lot of people that are not getting it in AA today. Uh, I don't know what that block is, uh, but this is kind of like a end around on uh, the 12 steps too. So if you're hung up and really not getting it in the 12 steps, just not feeling it. Uh, this is a parallel path that, that, that might work for you. The music wrapped around the podcast is by Darren Frank. And I think that's all the check boxes I'll do today. Uh, like, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, Jung is my guest today. I don't know him very well. One thing that's really cool about these podcasts is that uh, after we've done, uh, I know him a lot better. And, and uh, there's that connection being a core value of mine. Uh, getting to know people better really means something to me. And, uh, and I like to, uh, to continue to build my my support structure really by making these connections with other people who are who are doing this uh who are trying to be better versions of themselves day by day so welcome to the show jung how you doing today 
Hey, thank you, Dan. Uh, I always ask the first question is uh, a guy sobriety, a guy or a gal sobriety date is one of the most important dates in my life. So uh, what's yours? Um, my sobriety date, September 30th, 1992. Well, that's quite some time ago. You'll be um, 19 this year then. Is that right? I'm or sorry. Just you're 18 years in. Um, uh, uh, 28 years. 28. I have a whole 10 years off. Dang. Yeah. Woo. Sorry. My apologies. My math. I used to be an engineer, but my math is not that good. No worries. There. I did take a, a sabbatical. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, I like to talk to people and ask them where they grew up, what their family life was like when they were, you know. Uh, kind of like get a full history, so to speak, of uh, how people come about, how, you know, how we got here. Uh, where did you grow up at? So I grew up in um, Northern Virginia. So I came from Korea when I was one. My, uh, my aunt, um, she married uh, an American GI uh, shortly after the Korean War. And then um, some years later, my, my dad came over with me, my mom and my brother and um yeah we grew up in um northern virginia which is right outside of uh washington dc yep so um you know my earliest memories of was just kind of always been a little bit different than everybody um you know everyone was either white or black and then there was me and, and my family and um you know so it was, it was kind of interesting um you know, we, we kind of took, uh, can I cuss on the podcast? You or? can. We're, uh, I should have said that in the beginning too. We are completely, I mark all these explicit, explicit. There's a, the F word is in most of them. <laughs> so okay, feel, right. feel free to be um, free so, with your language. Yeah, we, we, um, okay. Yeah. We, we took a lot of crap from, you know, all sides. Um, so, um, you know, it was just a very interesting upbringing, um, you know, my parents had to work a lot. They fought a lot. Um, they ended up getting a divorce when I was five. It wasn't a, an, um, it was a pretty bitter divorce. Um, there was a stretch in my childhood, where I didn't see my mom from, I'm going to say from third grade through seventh grade. Mm. Um, but just, I just remember being a kid and just always feeling, feeling less than feeling like not a part of, um, you know, and, uh, I always thought, Hey, you know, it's, it, 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 maybe I drank because, um, of, of my upbringing, but then my brother, who's a, who's a normie, he had the same upbringing and he's not an alcoholic, you know what I mean? So I, I can't attribute my alcoholism to that, but, um, yeah, I, I um, I, I really struggled as a youth, um, just because of just where the country was at at the time in terms of, um, uh, of embracing diversity at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I had the ism for a long time. I was always kind of a problem kid. Um, you know, I, I had trouble paying attention in class. Um, I had, uh, you know, I get in a lot of trouble, um, you know, whether it's fighting or, or stealing or whatever it is, uh, you know, I, I think I was alcoholic way before I took the drink and, um, you know, uh, when I was probably 13, yeah, it was 13 when I took my first drinks, uh, seventh grade, um, spring break. And, um, we, uh, raided my friend's dad's liquor cabinet. We, uh, you know, those old, uh, 
igloo or thermos things where it's plastic and and uh, we keep your your drink cold yep. we um we poured the vodka in there we refilled the vodka bottles with water and and um i i just remember drinking and loving that feeling you know yeah. it was like the universe made sense at that moment like that all my insecurities and hang-ups just felt like they went away and um you know it was it was fairly early in the morning when we started drinking and um i made a lot of noise and um you know the um the uh the neighbors called the cops and uh, the cops took me to the hospital to pump my stomach and that oh, was wow. kind of the beginning of my drinking um and uh you know i i uh, i swore it off you know i promised yeah. my parents like i'm never gonna drink again yeah and uh that promise didn't go too well yeah. um let me throw a couple things in there because i, I just liked it. struggled as a kid like i'm sorry go ahead uh I was just one of the things that I noticed from doing these, you know, in this, I've done over a hundred of these podcasts is I call them bell ringers where I will hear these same patterns, you know, and I mean, like I could almost, uh, you know, the not feeling part of the feeling, and, you know, and I could really see how you would suffer from that worse. Cause like you said, I didn't think about that. You know, we got the black people and the white people and I am different in your shoes and, uh, that deal in that man of, most every single person, I mean, there are some exceptions, say they started drinking someplace at 13 or 14 years old, uh, almost everybody. And I'm a little surprised that you thought about uh, filling the bottles back up, man. I don't think I, that would have been a learned behavior uh, to to fill the bottles back up with water. Uh, and the last thing I want to say is, is that your first drinking experience was similar to mine. And I carried that same thing on for years is, uh, it went very poorly for me and I had many more, you know, I was bad at it from the get go and I really never got any better at it. Uh, I learned to manage it a little bit, but <clears throat> I was sick. I didn't get the police called on me, but I was sick and my friends had to clean the house up and I puked all over everything. And so, uh, I, these, these things about how, how, uh, how this it's a parallel path for, for so many of us. Yeah, it, it was um, interesting that, um, you know, just that feeling of not feeling a part of feeling less than that, that, um, that stayed with me for a long time. And, you know, I love that part in the big book where it talks about lack of power is our dilemma. I was always searching for power, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the power to fit in, right? The power mm -hmm. to, to not feel less than. So, I, you know, I, I kind of went all the way the other direction. And so I try to feel greater than. And, um, you know, I, I, I try to feel greater than through sports. Um, I, I, I thought, OK, you know what? That's where... Um, you get recognition. Once you get recognition, then um, you take a little bit less crap. And then, um, so I, I was always searching for some kind of God substitute or, or you know, some kind of power to, to help me just make it through my my perception of myself. And um, um, and then, you know, I, I struggled with identity. You know, I, I went through a, a a phase where it was heavy metal, right? Wear my Iron Maiden T-shirt, yeah, just to fit in. And then I went to the punk phase where, you know, I'd wear my punk t-shirts and go to the punk shows to, to fit in. Yeah. Um, I went through well, my skater period, you know, I'd wear like um, uh, skateboarding apparel and, and try to fit in, you know, chameleon. And I went through my polo shirt phase to, to try and fit in. Um, but the whole time I was still drinking, you know, and my drinking wasn't going well. Um, um, you know, and I remember 
another bad drinking episode when I was in high school. Um, the the one of the girls that was a football manager for the freshman football team had a party, and um, I just behaved badly, man. I, I didn't know how to regulate my drinking. You know, she got really upset about how I behaved and and the ruckus I caused, and then the um, my friend who gave me a ride home was a little pissed off that I I tore up his car on the ride home, mm. and. Um, you know, I mean, it was just self-imposed crisis after self-imposed crisis. We would get into a lot of trouble and uh, and try and justify it. And, uh, you know, we'd get into a lot of fights. We'd always steal. Um, you know, we'd steal alcohol. We'd steal money. We broke into cars so that we can um, fund our, our, our debauchery. Um, but somehow or another, we thought it was okay, you know, and um, we try to justify our behavior. And, um, what became a turning point for me was, um, um, I, uh, I'd gotten in trouble my, my senior year of, of high school, um, me and 50 of my African-American friends thought it was necessary to, <laughs> to storm a house that was having a party. So we can beat up a dude that, um, that, uh, that, um, punched me at a football game and, uh-huh. you know, and, um, and it was, what's sad about that is, is that my reckless behavior got my friend arrested because mm. I wanted to beat this guy's butt so badly. I, I asked for, asked a buddy of mine for his class ring so I can, I can really hurt him. And, um, in the, in the, uh, in the fight, I lost my friend's class ring. Right. And that's how we got caught. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel bad cause you know, if I wasn't so, um, if I wasn't stuck in self, right. And, and my pride, right. And, um, you know, my friend wouldn't have gotten arrested as well, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, th- that really scared me at the time. So I, I, I turned a new leave. I said, okay, I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to, um, you know, get good grades and, and try to make something of myself. Right. But right. I didn't stop drinking. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, those empty promises. So I, I pulled it together my senior year, got my grades up. Um, um, but you know, I, I wasn't still good enough to get into college. What helped me out was uh, wrestling. So, um, I ended up getting recruited to wrestle at old dominion university in, in Virginia. That's the only thing that got me into college. I, I joke with my kids that you guys doubled my GPA and, um, <laughs> um, so when I got into college, I kept thinking I'm going to be a different person. Right. And I wasn't a different person. Right. The outsides were different, but I was not a different person. I was still drinking a lot and, um, I was still getting into a lot of trouble. Um, you know, just doing a lot, doing a lot of the same things I was doing in high school, but the only difference was, is that, um, my grades were better. So I, Uh my mindset was if I can keep a 3.0 GPA, the party continues yep. and no one's going to ask me any questions. Yep, I so I did that. And, um, you know, I, I didn't like wrestling. And then, um, I, uh, I remember being at a party my freshman year and, and, uh, I see a guy on the top of the roof, he's naked and he, he does a swan dive off the roof into the arms of like six other guys. Uh. Yeah. And I go, what the hell is that? And, uh, someone goes, that guy's on the rugby team. Oh. And, um, I think a year later I joined the rugby team uh, Yeah. and about a year and a half later, I'm on the top of a two story house with uh, flaming toilet paper coming out of my ass and I'm doing <laughs> the same swan dive <laughs> and, uh, you? Uh, you know, it was just, um, 
just more debauchery, man. Like, um, you know, I, I was seeking out my, my lower, lower companion and, um, you know, I had a lot of regression, a lot of anger. Uh, I, you know, I, I got bullied as a kid just for being different. Mm-hmm. So when I had the opportunity to get power, um, you know, I didn't wield it nicely. Right. Yeah, right. And what le- which led me into a lot of physical conflict and, um, and rugby just seemed like a good excuse for me to, to get into a, a physical conflict. Right. Uh, we would have the games, uh, and then after the games would be a huge keg party. Um, we would, um, you know, we'd crown a rugby queen and, uh, and if you look at it today, I'm, I'm just shocked at what we did, right? <laughs> like in today's culture, it would not be acceptable at all. And it shouldn't have been acceptable, but we didn't know any better. Right. We yeah. just knew what we knew. And, um, we would always pull a prank. Like, um, my big thing was, um, the three man lift. So I would, uh, I would, uh, do a re- act with another guy on the, on the team. And I'd say, Hey, I bet you I can lift, um, three, you know, three people with one arm. And he goes, ah, you can't do that. And he goes, Oh, I'll bet you 50 bucks. I goes, okay, let's go. So then we'd pick three non-suspecting freshmen, have them lie on the ground and lock the arms together. And then I'd start acting like I'm going to lift all three of them up and I'd count to count to three. And then at the count of three, the whole team would pour beer on the people lying on the ground. <laughs> so we would do stupid pranks like that. Um, Another prank that we would do on uh, on suspecting freshmen would be, um, 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 you know, I would uh, act like I can uh, um, break a baseball bat, right? And so my uh, other teammate would act, um, you know, we 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 create this like um, act where I go, hey, I bet you a hundred bucks I can break a baseball bat, yeah. and he goes, no, you can't do that. And I goes, no, I can, right? So I'd put a baseball bat um, between my legs and under my um, behind my knees and then under my uh uh over my elbows right and uh and then i take a bandana and start ro- wrap like rolling it right and then I, I would say oh my legs are too thick but if i got a skinnier guy i can get more leverage and then we'd find a skinny guy and then we'd get him to to start doing the thing with the bandana with his wrists and and then what ended up happening is his wrist would be locked up and then he'd be stuck right and then two big guys on the team would carry um, carry him around at the party like a pig. So one guy would be one end of the bat, and the other guy would be the other end of the bat, and the yeah. guy is just stuck. Yeah, and he's being you know lifted up in the air by two big guys and yeah. um, humiliated the party, right? Yeah, humiliated. Um, and I think about that, and I was like, wow, man, we were we were just messed up in the head. You know, we were like um, what we thought was funny was was not funny, and um, but that's all we knew. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, did you have those kind of things happen to you when you were a freshman? um, You know, I kept drinking. I'm sorry. What? Did you have those kind of things? We got a little bit of a delay. I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, We'll get over it though. No big deal. Uh, Because well, I will I will start to say something and it doesn't get to you for just a minute. But did you have those kind of things happen to you when you were a freshman? Did they pull pranks on you? Uh, Not in college, but I had stuff where. Um. I had several incidences where, like, I remember in second grade, I was walking through the creek and some guy pointed a, um, a gun at me. It was BB gun. And then he, he made me squat in the, in the water mm. and um, he, he thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you had your, your, your wedgie stories from right. like middle school and high school and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so I, I've, I've experienced similar bullying um, as 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 a as a kid and and uh, as a young teen. Yep, that's one of the things that I you know, and I have that in my history too. I got bullied when I was younger. And uh, then what I did as I grew up, I started bullying other people who were younger than me, you know, other people who were weaker than me. Uh, and, you know, I, I look at it and it just seems so outside of my nature today to do that kind of stuff. But but I did it, you know, and 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 I don't know that I could help myself. You know, I didn't know any better, but there's like I really like the way you said that what I was doing, probably much like what you said, I was trying to find some power somewhere where I could exert some power, where I could have some power. Yeah, it, it was, um, I remember uh, I heard a phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Now yeah. I was hurt, you know, and um, I didn't know or I didn't have any skills or any um, coping mechanisms, right? And uh, so I just knew um, what I felt and I acted on what I felt. And unfortunately, there's there was uh, a lot of collateral damage to yeah. to that, you know, living that way, yeah. you know, um, and I don't regret the past. You know, I, I think I needed to go through that past to get me to where I am today. But, um, you know, it was, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. I don't know if you, you ever have the same feeling like it's you, but you feel like it's a different you. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, like, you know. One of the you know, things it, like this committee I, I, that seems to operate in my head, you know, and uh, like it's sometimes it seems like there's a bunch of me, but there's definitely at times I feel some distinct like, and I think that's what the the old age old uh, euphemism is. I think it's the right term with the devil and the angel on one shoulder. You know, I got one voice over here telling me it's okay to do this. And then I got this other voice on here going, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And my problem for the longest time was, is, uh, is I, and I listened to the wrong one. <laughs> hey, apologies. I got to run to the bathroom real quick. Can I just put this on pause for a second? Absolutely. Go right ahead. Okay. I apologize. Not a problem. I had, I had coffee a little bit earlier. Yeah. It's not a problem at all. Man. Okay. I'll be right back in a minute. Okay. Okay. Hold on one second. It's not a problem at all. Uh, apologize. Like, well, a lot of times when I do these, uh, I have a wood shop in my backyard and, uh, and I do woodworking out there and, uh, but I also have built me a really nice big mahogany table and that's my podcasting table. So when people come over and I have local guests from, cause that's the way this started was obviously locally, uh, we go out and we sit in the wood shop and, uh, and there's no bathroom out there. And, uh, and we record out there. I have a couple kids in the house and my, my, my dad lives with me too. Uh, he's 83 and, uh, so that gives me also a little bit of privacy out there. But uh, one of the things I always do is people, when I bring them in, because uh, there have been quite a few people that's come to the podcast that I, that I didn't know at all. Uh, they, you know, they come to me from a referral from somebody else or whatever. And I met them for the first time in the driveway, but I always say, uh, uh, might want to take a bathroom break before we go on out back in the shop. Cause uh, you might need it. And uh, these things run usually hour and a half, couple hours. And it seems like everybody's ready to go to the bathroom after we're uh, done talking. So it's a, uh, but it's absolutely no problem. I, this is not a sterile environment. Uh, I'm not trying to create some highly produced uh, um, sanitized uh, podcast. Uh, I'm trying to be real and, uh, and, 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 and not try to polish all that up. 
so the one thing is is i didn't mentally bookmark where you were at uh we were talking about this uh bullying a little bit and 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 doing that stuff uh, i also can relate with you you know in high school i found out that if i would just get good grades everybody would get off my back you know i really i was getting in trouble and i was doing a lot of things i wasn't supposed to and i was getting picked up by the police and things like that but i found that uh nobody watched me as hard when my report cards were good <laughs> and uh it would just became a mechanism that i used yeah. you know, i didn't uh i got decent grades through high school and and when i was getting good grades uh mom and dad didn't watch me so hard <laughs> Yeah, it was um, uh, uh, exercise of managing my outsides for sure. Yeah, and during my college years, and um, you know, but nothing cha changed really. You know, only thing I could say changed is my drinking got worse. You know, my my, my drinking routine was typically I start on a Thursday night and go through uh, Saturday, and then use Saturday as kind of uh, Sunday as a drying up time. But um, man, you know. I just remember like, uh, you know, some, a lot of times we start drinking at noon once class was over and then we'd go to the keg party. And then once the keg party was over, because it was like $2 and you'd, you'd fill up your cup as, as much as you can. Once the kegs ran dry, we'd go to the bars and then, you know, every once in a while we'd go to the after hours club, you know, and, yeah. and just drank and drank and drank. And I remember my girlfriend at the time would say, why do you drink so much? And it was like she spoke Greek to me, you know, it yeah. didn't make sense what she was saying because it didn't seem like I was drinking too much. It seemed like I was drinking normally. Yeah. And then it always justify it by saying, hey, so-and-so drinks more than me. Oh, so-and-so got a DUI, right? Um, but I, I was just shocked at, in retrospect, I was shocked how much I drank. Yeah. Because I could finish off a case of beer. I drink LaCroix. Like I drank beer, you know, yeah. my, my, my family shocked at how much LaCroix I drank. I, I just, it's not even a conscious thing. I'm just like drinking. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's how I drank. I, I just yeah. would just keep drinking. Do you have any drugs um, in your story? I have a funny story related to that. I, I was at the bars. I ran out of money and I saw the tip jar and, um, I kept thinking, I put a lot of money in those jars. So therefore I should be able to take money out. Right. So I take the jar, start dumping the money out. And then um, one of the bartenders caught me and then he, he, he uh, threw me out of the bar. Right. And um, I got indignant about that. You know, I was really <laughs> pissed off that he threw me out of the bar for, you know, for stealing. Right. How dare and, and you? That just, just showed me how whacked out I was. Right. Like how out of touch with reality I was that I, I would be the one upset. <laughs> Right. Yeah. When I'm the one that, that committed the crime, I'm the one that's upset. Uh, the insanity of, of my disease to, um, and what I would justify. But that's where my head was at. You know, yeah. that's where my disease was at, where I was living this life where I, I did what suited me. And there was just so much collateral damage as a result of that. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember I just punching holes in my girlfriend's door and wondering why she's all freaked out about it, you know? And then, um, then writing these long letters, apologizing about how I'm going to change. I'm going to be a better person. And, and I, I look at that and I, I shake my head, you know, because in retrospect, it's like, God, how out there was I, that I would behave that way. And then think that just 
a nice little letter will fix everything, you know? Yeah, right. Um, but, um, and so Bill says yeah, my it. drinking just got progressively worse. And, um, I, I guess the, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the situation that, that led me to the program was, um, and it, it wasn't a, a, a quick lead into AA. So November of my senior year, I got into a bar fight, right? And um, the person got hurt really badly. Um, uh, if there wasn't a nurse on the scene to do an emergency tracheotomy, that, that person would be dead and you and I would not be talking right now. Mm. Um, I remember hearing uh, someone share in a meeting seconds and inches. Yeah. And I understand that today. It was seconds and inches that, that um, saved that person's life and uh, prevented me from a, a life in prison. So what ended up happening was, um, you know, uh, a few days earlier, a buddy of mine on the rugby team had gotten to a fight with uh, some guys from a, a fraternity on campus. So, um, you know, that night I was looking to even the score. And uh, I remember my roommates were going to see the Adams Family movie that night. Hmm. They asked me to go. My girlfriend asked me to go to the Adams Family movie with my roommates. But um, that didn't suit my... <laughs> my, my intentions, right? Like it didn't, like, it, that's not what I wanted to do. And, um, so I went out, right. And, um, although we didn't, I didn't get in the fight with those guys that got in a fight with my buddy. Um, I did get in a fight. Right. And, um, I, I think when you have bad intentions, bad things happen. That's just, you know, it, and you call it karma, you can call it energy, whatever you want to call it, you know, a because I could clearly say that night I wasn't looking to feed the homeless, right? Right. <laughs> I was looking for, um, I was I was looking to inflict pain. You know what I mean? And um, and uh, you, you know, just who I was and and um, where I was at led me into a situation where I almost took someone else's life. Yeah. You know, um, and what ended up happening is, uh, you know. One of my friends who was a bouncer helped me escape to the back of the bar. And um, I thought the whole thing would blew over. And then um, I want to say a few days before um, Easter, right? So fast forward, I don't know, four months, five months. Um, I, I, get a, I get a call from the Norfolk City Police and the Naval Investigative Services about the fight, right? And... Um, um, so I was like, Oh God, I, I, you know, I hope this doesn't turn into anything. And, um, my girlfriend at the time was a good Catholic girl and, um, she wanted me to go to Easter mass on Sunday. And, um, so I, I cut a deal with God, right. In a very selfish way. I said, God, if you make this legal stuff go away, I'll uh, go to church on Sunday and I won't cheat on my girlfriend. Right. <laughs> and, um, I drank so much that weekend. I was too hungover to go to church. And uh, I hooked up with another girl that, that weekend as well. Mm. And that Monday I got arrested, right? The, the police came to my, my place and um, they took me to, to jail. Um, when I got to jail, I took crap from a Filipino drag queen. And um, I, I really, it was just this weird feeling that, this is not what I intended for my life. Right. This is not where I want to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I am drastically off course, you know, and, uh, 
my uh, my girlfriend uh, bailed uh, girlfriend at the time um, uh, bailed me out of jail, and then she took me to lunch, and I cried like a baby. You know, I um, I think she thought I was crying because of the legal trouble. I was crying because I just cheated on this girl, you know, and I couldn't believe how who I was. You know, just to be that kind of person that would cheat on someone that cared about them so deeply, uh, that was willing to to bail this person out of jail. And um, I was this person that just cheated on her, you know, and I, I couldn't believe I was that person, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I think the reality of who I was uh, um, kind of hit me at that moment. And uh, I, I cried like a baby. Um and I, I, I seriously thought my life was over. Um, I wanted to kill myself. And, you know, a lot of people would joke about how, how out of my mind I was. And the only thing that kept me from killing myself was I didn't want people to know how crazy I really was. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Right. If I killed myself, it would confirm their belief about me. And, um, you know, it, I think it was one of the few times my ego served me. Um, and, uh, she, uh, introduced me to a lawyer. I always joke in the meetings that you know, one bad lawyer that gave me one good piece of advice. And, um, he was a Notre Dame grad and, uh, he, um, noticed that I was not a happy drunk and he strongly suggested I go to AA. Mm. So, um, to give you a little insight in terms of the people I hung around, my, my roommate at the time, one of my roommates, I should say. Uh, he and I went to high school together. He um, he flunked out of his college and he went to my college to to got, try and get um, um, enough credit so he can go back to his college. And um, you know he got a DUI at 18, and I had some other friends that had uh, similar issues as well, where they got DUIs uh, mm -hmm. before they're 21. Me too. And um, I asked them, "What is it like in an AA meeting?" And he told me, "It's just a bunch of old guys telling war stories." Hmm. So that was my perception of, of AA. And uh, I remember going to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. It was on a Friday night um, in a Gothic looking church in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, it was raining. There was thunderstorm. It was a thunderstorm. There was lightning and, um, um, you know, loud thunder crackling. And uh, I go into this Gothic looking church. I walk up this narrow staircase and um, I open the door to the meeting. And uh, it's a candlelight meeting. So you know how candlelight illuminates a face? Yep. It looks all spooky. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, I, I joined a cult, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. And you know that laughter you hear in an AA meeting? Um, it just made me uncomfortable. Um, and then the sharing made me uncomfortable because they were sharing things I thought about, but I would never say out loud, right. you know? And um, the, uh, the lights went on. And I saw someone my age in the room and it dispelled the myth that it's a bunch of old guys telling more oh, stories. Yeah. And, uh, I remember when I walked out of the, the, the church that evening, the rain had stopped and there was this beautiful, bright orange sunset, you know, and, and, and at the time I didn't make anything of it. I just like, yeah, the rain stopped. But in retrospect, I feel like, you know, maybe God was saying everything's going to be okay. You yeah. Know? I believe. That. Um, and, yeah. So it was interesting. My, my first, um, 
first year of sobriety was really interesting um, because I didn't really work a program. You know, I, um, I remember I accumulated 30 days and uh, I told myself, if I ever get the urge to drink, I'm going to squeeze the chip real hard and it's going to keep me sober. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the stuff that these things we come up with that we think is going to help us out. Right. There's no um, there's no real spiritual principle behind it or there's no science behind it. But damn it, I'm going to create this belief system based on nothing um, to, to, to try and get something out of it. Right. And um, I had my 30 day chip in my pocket. And then a buddy from high school came down to visit, convinced me to go to the bars with him. And he slid a shot in front of my way mm. and uh, I, I drank it. Right. And this is what's scary is I have, I'm, I'm facing serious felony charges. Right. You know, uh, I had sufficient reason not to drink. I still drank. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a line in the big book where it talks about fear sobered us up for a bit. And that's so true, man. Uh, Cause it did sober me up for a bit. And uh, I, when I drank that shot, it was the worst shot of my life. Because I had a sinking feeling when I took that shot that, um, that I am powerless. Like, you know, I have sufficient reason not to drink and, I, and I'm drinking, right? And, uh, and it was this weird reaction. Like, it wasn't even like there was no thought, right? It just, the shot came and then this next thing you know, it's down my throat. You know, when I hear people think about, oh, what are your triggers or um, you know, play the tape and all that stuff. I hear that, that was going to help me in that situation. You know what I mean? Um, I was just hardwired to just drink and, um, and that's what ended up happening. And, um, you know, so I changed my sobriety date and, um, it was, uh, not a good first year. You know, I was facing a lot of legal problems. Every time certified mail would come to my house, uh, I'd freak out. Or I get a FedEx uh, letter, I'd freak out because it's it's it was voice from a lawyer that wanted to sue. Uh, the person I had hurt was in the hospital for 14 days, and he was looking for seven figures in terms of um, uh, 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 some kind of um, uh, you know in terms of damages. And uh, I thought, man, here I am facing felony charges, seven figure lawsuit. I'm 22 years old. Um, how am I going to pay that off? How am I going to, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to get a job with IBM or any big company or anything like that. Um, I literally thought my life is over. And, um, you know, I, uh, my head went to a lot of weird spaces. I kept thinking, why don't you join the French Foreign Legion and then get a new identity? And this thought was something I thought about a lot, you know, and um, it was eating a lot of sugar. My first year of sobriety, I had seven cavities. I was working out four hours a day. You know, I was going to noon meetings. I wasn't really working any kind of program. You know, I had fellowship. I think that helped me my first year. I had a sponsor, but we didn't work the steps. We we would grab dinner once a week and, and just talk, which, you know, I mean, it's better than nothing, but yeah. it didn't really get to the root cause of, of my problem. And, um, what ended up happening was, um, um, there was, uh, a guy in the meeting, Larry a, who is, um, half Chinese and half Mexican, but he is a cowboy from New Mexico. Like he rode horses, like he knew how to do all the cowboy stuff. 
he wore Wranglers and boots and a hat, but he looked like me. And he befriended <laughs> me at, at an AA meeting. And, wow. um, and then he pulled me down the fellowship rabbit hole. You know, he'd take me out to, you know, we'd go out as a group to, to dances and to, to um, um, other social events, which helped me tremendously. And then um, during my, my, my trial, he um, came down and, and he, uh, he, he uh, took a day off of work and, and went, went to court with me. And, and keep in wow. mind, um, after I graduated from college, I moved back from, from Norfolk, Virginia, back to Northern Virginia. So Norfolk, Virginia is in the southeast part of Virginia. And then yeah. where, I, where I grew up is um, three hours north of that. So when I had to go back to trial, I had to drive three hours south back to um norfolk virginia yeah and larry took the day off off of work to to come with me to court wow and um he noticed that there was something wrong with my lawyer and um he started asking everyone in aa um if they knew a good lawyer okay and um you know and i was so broken as a person yeah i i was uh I couldn't do anything for myself in that regards in terms of like advocating for myself or anything like that. But Larry did the legwork and ended up finding a lawyer that did legal work for the judge on my case. And, um, so the the second lawyer he finds, um, went to Notre Dame and then the judge on my case went to Notre Dame. So this will all circle back a little bit later on. Okay. I, I just find it funny um, that, uh, you know, that my first lawyer, Notre Dame grad, uh, judge on my case, Notre Dame grad. And then second, uh, the new lawyer on my case, uh, Notre Dame grad. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that was tremendously helpful that this person who did legal work for the judge on my case is my new lawyer. Yeah. That's higher power and, stuff. Um, you know, I think I had about a, I'm sorry. That's higher power stuff straight up. You know, all those, oh, you, yeah. you keep on, I mean, I hear it all the yeah. way through your story of these like signs, uh, that song, that old 60 song that says signs, signs everywhere, signs. Uh, I'm hearing it all the way through your story of these signs of that. Yeah. I mean, I'll tie it up later on, but yeah, it was pretty crazy that, that, you know, those three uh, people that had crucial role on my cases were Notre Dame grads. Yeah. Um, and then, I want to say I had about a year of sobriety and I ended up going to jail for two months, which isn't bad considering no. the, they were looking to lock me up for five to 25. Yeah. Not bad at all. And um, even in jail, like I, um, I felt like God was with me. Um, so the guy that ran the cell block, he liked me a lot um, because he was a smart guy, very entrepreneurial. You know, I think in, in a, in different circumstances, he'd be running a big company, right? Yeah. You know, he's one of those guys that's very street smart and entrepreneurial. Um, and he was very intelligent, but he was just frustrated by all the people around him, right? Because he could not talk to them, right? He, he felt like he could not have an intellectual conversation with all the people around him. And um, the way it was set up is that, um, you know, they, they had people that had their, their bunks, and then the people that slept on the floor. So if you're new, you're sleeping on the floor, right? Right. right. And when a bunk opened up, it's based on your time there. So, uh, you know, there's kind of a seniority. So, um, you know, if someone's been there for, you know, a few weeks or a couple of months sleeping on the floor, then when a bunk opened up, it was theirs, right? Yeah. And um, I remember a bunk opened up 
and I'm thinking I'm not getting the bunk. And the guy who ran the cell block made sure I got the bunk because oh, wow. it was right next to him. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. And, you know, when we'd have, you know, we would talk a lot and I just realized this guy is a brilliant guy. He's just, you know, just, he just got a life was just such that, you know, he grew up rough and this is kind of the result of how he grew up. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, you know, God was with me there where, you know, here's this person that, um, you know, we'd have good conversations, you know, um, and then, um, he'd hook me up. He also, um, he'd always cut all these deals where, um, he would, um, bring in food from the kitchen. And then when the kitchen closed, he would, uh, sell food later that night to people on the cell block. And then, you know, I, I benefited from that. Right. And, um, so I felt like God was with me there. And then, um, when I, when I got out, um, after two months, uh, I, I really started thinking about what do I want to do? Because there's no way I'm going to get a job in corporate, especially with a felony. And, um, I just said, all right, let me try acting. So I, I decided to try acting. So I started doing some acting gigs in uh, the DC area, you know, just cheesy stuff like industrial films. So yeah. industrial films are like the training films, yeah. right? You know, like, how do you lift boxes property, properly, that kind of stuff. Or how do you pay uh, off your student loans? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, did some commercials, uh, did some print modeling. And um, I, I realized, hey, you know what? I need to go to LA because, um, you know, if I really want to take this seriously, I, I need to, to, um, to go to a place where I can really go after it. So I moved to Los Angeles. Um, I'm going to say September, 1994. And, um, you know, I had, uh, about two years of sobriety at the time. And, uh, I, I got lucky there too. I, I fell into a good group of, of, of guys that were working the 12 steps mm. And, um, I remember people would, I'd hear people talk about, you know, it's either the bullet or the bottle for the alcoholic. Right. Right. And I thought that was a little dramatic. Um, and then I also would hear, you know, it's a spiritual life or an alcoholic death. I thought, oh gosh, that's a little dramatic. Right. Yeah. You know, um, but what ended up happening to me was, um, my emotions hit me like a freight train. You know, I had nothing to drown out my emotions anymore. Right. And, uh, I just couldn't believe how hard they hit, how hard my emotions hit me. And, uh, I, I kept thinking, God, I am in excruciating pain. And, uh, the result of that is I started working the 12 steps and, uh, I, I was so lucky to be around a bunch of guys, my age who all were taking this uh, program seriously, all wanted to seriously, um, stay sober and work a program of action. And, um, that's what had happened. Um, yeah, uh, my sponsor helped me through the, the 12 steps. Well, they um, say when the pain's we, great I did enough, a thorough, um, inventory, I'm sorry. They, 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 when the pain is great enough is what they say. Right. And you hit that point where, uh, the pain was great enough. You'd finally said, okay, I surrender. I'll do this work. You guys keep on talking about two years after hanging around the joint and you know, you were hearing it on a regular basis, you know, and, uh, but nope, yeah. nope, nope. And then I'll just love the way how many things aligned, you know, to put you in the places you needed to be at. And, and like almost, almost feels like this, uh, uh, 
this higher power navigation, like moving you to points like these acting gigs that made you end up needing to go to L, you know, finding your way to LA so that then you would get with the group of people who you needed to be with that would, would get into our thick skulls that yes, uh, I'm going to do this. I have a speaker I love. And he says, uh, I had a revelation, you know, and he said, I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll work these steps. And he said, you know what a revelation is, didn't you? And he, and he goes and he pauses for a second. He says, it's when uh, suddenly I have the idea that you guys have been telling me for six months when it's my idea, then I'll do it. You know, but when you're telling me to do these steps, uh, I, I can't hear it. And then one day I go, Hey man, I think I'll work these steps. <laughs> and uh, they're all our friends are standing around going good idea. Yeah. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't one of those things where I was skipping and whistling and deciding to do the steps. You know, right, it was yeah. there was pain. some pain involved, pain. and um, uh, yeah, it, yeah, there was some serious pain involved. Where you're like, okay, all right, I'm gonna tap. All right, all right, I'm gonna work the steps. You know, and glad that um, there were people around me that one can provide fellowship for me at the time because I desperately needed fellowship and then two, uh, someone that could take me through the steps. And, um, you know, I, um, and then uh, also at the time I, I started acting, um, and I started doing something called the Meisner technique. And, uh, you know, uh, what, what I learned about the best actors, they don't fake it. Most people think acting is about lying and, and trying to, you know, be deceitful and tricking people. Um, what I learned was the best actors live truthfully in imaginary circumstances. And during this time period, I, I uh, embarked this kind of acting training where um, you learned how to, um, and it was very similar to what we learn in program, right? You take the attention off yourself and then you other person, um, you have to be in the moment, right? Um, and you have to be uh, honest in the moment, right? which was very hard for me for a long time, you know, when I was in, uh, when I started acting, because I was someone that never knew how to be honest. Right. I never knew how to be honest with myself. Um, never knew how to be honest with other people. I thought I did, but, um, you know, and, and the way I dealt with emotions was I, I, I would just kind of drown it out. And then since I'd never dealt with it, it would just emerge in this explosion of, of anger and people are wondering where did this anger come from? Right. You know, um, you know, it did never really match the situation. And, um, I remember this guy, uh, I heard at a meeting and I apologize for, for my French here. He, he called it the shit bucket, right. You know, we keep accumulating shit over the day. Right. And we don't dump it out and it gets yeah. so full when someone puts a little bit in, it splatters all over the place. Yeah. And we, and, and then, everyone wonders what went wrong. Right. Yeah, I like and, that. um, I had that bucket, you know what I mean? And I'd never dumped it out. And, um, and, uh, so I, I feel like God put that, uh, acting training in place as well for me to understand how to be honest and, uh, start, um, learning not to like stuff my emotions, right. That, um, you know, there is a place for my emotions and, and, um, my point of view, right? My honest point of view. And uh, I think that journey was necessary for me. You know yeah, what I mean? I love that. Um, that uh, and so I went. The, uh, 
you know, that's a real cool dichotomy because I love the dichotomies around here. You know, the basic one is the surrender to win, right? But here you get into guided into this lifestyle that acting, even the word acting means doing something outside of what your normal self is. You know, that's what most people would think of. But you you were guided into acting in order to figure out how to be real. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's interesting that God took me through a truth journey, you know? Yeah. Um, and just even my, my, when I went through my four step and it was pretty exhaustive, uh, you know, uh, a thousand resentments literally. And, um, and then when I did my fifth step with my sponsor, you know, he didn't really blink an eye when I told him my deep dark secrets you know what I mean like all the shame I had in my deep dark secrets was just mm -hmm. like okay yeah I did the same you know and, and um that was refreshing you know you know it kind of took a lot of weight off my shoulders knowing that all the stuff that I felt shameful about really didn't matter um you know he was more concerned about my resentments than my my deep dark secrets Mm -hmm. And then when I was going through my fifth step, he'd say, star that resentment, star that resentment, right? Star that one, right? Uh, and uh, it's interesting. The ones I started ended up becoming my, the people I needed to make amends to, right? you know, fast forward a, a few steps. Um, and I just remember how that process was very freeing. But, you know, <laughs> and uh, this is where God has a sense of humor, too. You know, we always taught, hey, after you do your your seventh step, you know, take your inventory and, and then, um, you know, either throw it in the ocean or burn it. Right. So I took my inventory and I lived at Venice Beach at the time um, and uh, I threw it into the ocean. Right. And I was like, OK, you know, I felt good. I felt like it was this real spiritual experience of throwing it into the ocean. And then I kid you not, I think maybe a few days later when I was running on the beach, I see my inventory scattered all over the beach. Uh, um, I was looking at it and I was like, Oh my God, that's my inventory. And um, <laughs> I, I think that's God's way of saying, you're not done, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I um, got into my amends process, which was powerful. Um, um, and the way I was instructed to do my amends is a five-step process. And we would wrote them on, on three by five cards, each amends. So, um, you know, it was, why are we there? The harm that we caused, we asked if we left anything out. Um, do you need to tell me how, how it made you feel and what do I need to do to set things straight? And the, that the fifth question that's awesome. is basically our spiritual marching orders, right? Yep. Yeah. I love and, that. No, um, that's, you know, that's and it's not no longer this process of saying, I'm sorry, if I owe you 50 bucks, you want 50 bucks, you get your 50, you want your 50 bucks. I have to pay you your 50 bucks. Right. It's not like, Hey, I'm sorry. Hey, sorry. You're not getting your money back. It's no, no. Yeah. like, what do I need to do to set things straight? You tell me, right. It's not based on what I want. It's based on what you want set straight in the situation. Um, and that was a very powerful experience, man. Like, I'm hoping that whoever goes through the steps has an opportunity to get through amends. Yeah, no doubt. Um, my, um, I made amends to my, my dad and, um, he said, go to, go to church. And I'm <laughs> like, I don't want to go to church. Right. <laughs> and then he got specific. He said, go to Korean church. And, um, I didn't know how, well, how to do that. And, uh, I was talking to a guy at my, my stag meeting and he, his wife is Korean. And he said, go to church with me. 
right? So I started going to church and that's where I met my wife, right? Ah. So talk about God's sense of humor, right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to talk yeah, about that um, process for just a second. Okay. Because, uh, you know, and uh, you've been around long enough that you know that, you know, this is being done in different ways. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of right ways to do the steps, you know, and, and I don't really think there's a wrong way. I think they're all, I think they all work. Um, what I believe is that there are ways to jack up the energy and the power that you get and can give by doing the work. And you just, uh, you just, for the very first time, somebody outside of my sponsorship lineage, uh, gave, gave almost exactly the same steps in a, in an amends that I was taught to. I mean, you did it separate. I do it in four because my, 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 I think it was three and four be together in what you said. It was one thing. So it was four, a four part recipe rather than a five, but they were all the same parts and it is powerful when you go with a real, uh, a real, you know, what, whatever that brings in. And I think the real powerful part of it is, is that you're asking this person, you know, you're giving this person a chance to talk and get free too, because we get that all the time. And that's how we actually, that's how I get through life is by talking to my buddies and being able to dump the bucket because I, so my bucket don't overflow, you know, and these other people that don't have these tools, they're carrying around a bucket too, you know, and, and some of my crap is in their bucket. And when I approach them with amends and I ask them to speak and tell me what I, you know, how did I, uh, what did, was there anything that I did that I'm not aware of or something I didn't mention here, anything at all that I did that, uh, that I need to know about. And is there anything I'm open to receiving anything you have to say to me, I'm, I'm opening myself up and I, then I sit there and I listen and I let those people get off the hook too, so that they can get that, get that, they dump out some of their bucket you know, and they get to carry and travel a little lighter because their bucket's emptier. Uh, I really, I, that pinged me because it's the first time I've heard somebody uh, outside of my lineage uh, state that so, uh, so directly parallel with the way that I was taught. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how God works in, and especially in the men's process. Um, you know, I, um, I remember one of the amends, um, my sponsor had me do, um, based on the relationship I had with this person, he said, it needs to be done daylight in a public place. Right. And, um, so I, I call her up and, um, you know, this is back in the nineties when we didn't have cell phones, we'd leave a voicemail message. Yeah. <laughs> Remember those? Yeah. On the home and, phone. Um, you know, she didn't respond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, um, she didn't respond to my voicemail. I think maybe a week or two had lapsed and I figured she was never going to respond to my, my um, voicemail. And, um, and I was instructed, you know, um, during the amends process, you pray God direct me to my next amends. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember, uh, I pray that I'm driving on sunset Boulevard in LA. Right. And, um, that day, uh, they were doing road work. Okay. And, um, so I had to take a detour down a side street. So I'm driving down a side street in, in LA and, um, I'm at the light. Okay. And I glance over to my left and there's an outdoor cafe and the person I need, need to make amends to is there. Right. And she's, it's, it's daylight, public place, all the stipulations of the amends. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I pull over. And, um, I park, walk over and 
and I, I dropped my men's tour. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I can't orchestrate that. You know what I mean? Nope. I didn't plan that. I didn't like try to manipulate that or whatever. I, I had no control over when they're going to do road work on sunset Boulevard. Right. You know what I mean? I didn't pick the, any of that. I just was going along my course and somehow another road work was done and somehow another, she was there where she was needed to be for this amends to happen. Yeah. Right. And the key to that um, is that you prayed that for God. The prayer for guidance, you know, you, you know, you just yeah. pray for the guidance I, I and, God and you got guided minutes. there. And I find that's a typical thing that happens with us. So it's part of the miracle that happens when you operate with these 12 steps as your foundation. When you pray for that guidance to be taken where you need to be taken, you that happens. And it's, it's almost like magic. <laughs> oh, I, mean, okay, I, don't get, I don't get it, everything. It blows I want, me away. It's just like, I don't get yeah, everything. It's, that I want. it's crazy because it's not about what I want anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, right. okay, God, you're in control. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I made amends. The, I, I would say the biggest amends I made is, is to the guy that I hurt in the bar fight. Oh, wow. Now that didn't happen quickly. That happened probably like when I was, I'm going to say, um, seven years sober. Mm. You know, and my sponsor at the time was a lawyer who guided me through that process. And uh, I was able to make amends to him, you know, Um, I made amends to a a lot of people that I thought I could never make amends to. So when I got into that bar fight, I um, kind of backtracking here, the bar that I got in the fight with, um, they got suit and they shouldn't have gotten pulled into the lawsuit. You know what I mean? They weren't negligent. I was negligent. Right. And the bar owners were, they were a nice couple, uh, older couple. I think the husband was, uh, he retired from the, the Coast Guard. They thought it'd be a good idea to open up a bar across a college campus, right? Sweet people. Um, and they got pulled into a lawsuit. And um, I thought, there's no way in hell I could ever make amends to these people, you know? But it's not based on what I think. It's based on what I need to do. So I, I called them up and... Um, I was shocked at their response. Um, I, I called up and um, I said, Hey, Mr. Thompson, this is Jung Cha. And, you know, I wanted to call you and, and I went through the five. And I thought he was just going to just blast. And um, instead he goes, I'm so glad you called. Uh, you're doing what you found God. Right. And then he goes, one second. Someone wants to talk to you. His wife on the phone. Hey, can I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, the audio sure. and the video are getting mixed up. I wonder if you turned off your video because this is really powerful stuff and I don't want it to miss and it's kind of dial. It's kind of digitizing off. Okay. We'll see if the audio gets better when you do that. So you cut, start up back with the call. You called, you called him and you said, Mr. Thompson, this is Jung. Oh yeah. I called them up and, um, I went through my amends process with them, you know, why I'm calling, um, the harm that I caused. Um, and then, um, is there anything that I, I left out? Uh, and then, um, um, and, um, you know, you, do you need to tell me how you feel and what do I need to do to set things straight? And his response was, Hey, I'm glad that you found God. Right. And then he said, I want you to talk to someone else. And then he put his, he puts his wife on the phone and she, I couldn't believe she was excited to hear my voice. You, mm. you know, I thought she'd be upset with me. She, and then 
she was like, oh, I'm so glad to hear your voice. I'm, I'm glad that you found God. And she said, if you're ever in town, you have a place to stay. All right. Wow. And yeah, that blew me away because I thought because of, of what trouble I caused them, right? The, the headache and heartache I must have caused them. Right. That was their response to me. Yeah. And that blew me away that that's their response, you know? Um, yeah, man, you're making my ear. It's, I'm tearing it's, up it's a little crazy. Bit. The grace that we experience. It, it brings tears to my eyes. It really does because of that power and that just what this process will do when, you know, you think that that's impossible, that that's the reaction I'm going to get out of these people. When what I, you know, the, the only thing they were was they had the bad luck that I walked into their place one night uh, and, you know, completely innocent and, uh, and to have that thrown on them. And then to have, when we show up with the proper preparation ahead of time, which is all the steps up to step nine, because without steps one through eight, I can't deliver, I can't deliver an effective amends. I can't make an honest, heartfelt, real, powerful amends. But when we have all that ammunition on our back and we walk into those amends like that time after time, after time, uh, forgiveness happens in, in real forgiveness, not just, not just carte blank kind of half halfway stuff. I mean, real stuff. You, if you need a place to stay, you can come stay with us. What is that? Go ahead. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's crazy where, where this process leads us. But um, the sad part of my story is that, the first time through the steps, I, I worked steps one through nine. And then I had the attitude of, I got mine, I'm out, mm. right? And um, I was too, too busy um, enjoying the gifts of the program and not really giving anything back. I, I didn't do any 10, 11, and 12 legitimately. I didn't, I didn't, um, I wasn't working a 10 step. I definitely wasn't doing an 11 step. And I, definitely was not doing a 12 step, you know, I, I was not giving back at all. Right. Yeah. And I'd always justify my, um, my, my lack of a program saying I'm too busy, you know? So, um, I, what ended up happening is, um, I got into executive recruiting, started making a lot of money and, um, you know, life seemed like it was going well. Right. Um, you know, we, we would send these nice, beautiful Christmas cards with the family and the kids and all that good stuff. So my outside looked good again, right? My bank account was fat, but I was not working a program, you know? And um, what I realized about this disease of alcoholism, um, it's definitely subtle. And um, I remember, um, you remember that big typhoon that hit, uh, not typhoon, that um Tsunami. A tsunami that hit Thailand back in 2005. Yep. 2004. Yep. Um, so I was, I remember listening to a guy that was there and he said, what ha happened was the tide went out as far you couldn't see how, where the water was. Right. And it was just, you know, it was just uh, wet sand for as, as far as you can see. Right. And then the water came back ankle deep. And then people thought that was cute. And so they went out and they went as far as they could ankle uh -huh, deep and yep. started splashing out around the mm -hmm. water. And then the water came in knee deep and they thought, Oh, that's cute. And they kept splashing around in the water. And then the water came in waist deep and they thought that was cute. And they started splashing around the water. 
And then all of a sudden the big wave came that took everything out. Yeah. And at that point they were screwed, right? right. They, there was nowhere to, he couldn't run out of the water fast enough. And when he told that story, that made sense to me. Cause that's, that's how my disease operates. You know, um, there was a lot of years where I was in ankle deep water, a good number of years where I was in knee deep water and mm. a lot of years where I was in waist deep water. And, um, on the outside, you think, ah, oh, there's no problem. But in the inside, there were some serious problems. You know, um, my wife would always say your reaction doesn't match the situation. And, um, I would, uh, not have good reactions to things. Um, and, uh, I think that's a telltale sign of, of where you're at with your program is, is your reaction to things. Yeah. And, um, what ended up happening was, um, I started making bad decisions, even in sobriety, because I had no, I had no higher power, right? I was right. not working any kind of a program really. And, um, I started a business in 2009, worst possible year to start a business. Cause it's January of 2009, right? Right yeah. after the biggest financial meltdown in, 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 uh, in, um, what the last 50 years. Right. And I thought that I had what it, to, to have a successful business, right? Talk about ego, out of control, lack of perspective. And um, what ended up happening was I just started putting my family in, in a really precarious financial situation. Um, I was having serious problems with my, 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 uh, my personal relationships, business relationships. And uh, I was miserable again. And um, I got a new sponsor who took me through the steps thoroughly. He parked me at step one for a long time, hmm. you know, and it was, it was brutal at the time, but now I get why he did what he did. Right. So what he would have me do is in, um, you know, step one of the 12 and 12, uh, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes a night, you read that over and over and over again. He'd have me put a timer on. Right. Wow. And I was so desperate and I really want what he had. Uh -huh. I did it. And, uh, I forget how many weeks in a row I did that, but, um, I did it. So I know step one. Right. And then he, uh, he started taking me through the big book again and, um, uh, you know, started working the steps. And, and, um, so I, I got, I got back into AA. Right. And I started being more of service. Right. And, um, I started sharing the miracle again. You know, and, and uh, what I realized that it, it was, um, you know, it, it wasn't that first iteration back in day A that helped me get to where I am today. Mm -hmm. It was multiple iterations of, of, of going through going through step work. And the most recent um, um, uh, most recent uh, experience through the steps with my sponsor, I think, was tremendously helpful for me. And the timing was impeccable because it happened right um uh, right through the pandemic right we started before the heavy steps in in the midst of the pandemic and uh he started unpacking the big book and there's so much i didn't really know that was there mm -hmm. um but um it was good that he unpacked that for me because it was very meaningful for me um you know i uh, uh during the pandemic i went through my fourth step again and I didn't realize that there's all these different prayers in the four step. You know, I just thought you just write columns, right? Get yeah. apart and jump to fear, jump to sex, 
the sex inventory and that you do your fist step and that go on your merry day, right? Um, he, um, and to back on his own, um, he was going through a difficult business situation, which forced him to, to downsize drastically. And uh, the only thing that helped him through that situation was going through the steps again. And the person that took him through the steps went through it very, very thoroughly. So he shared that experience with me and um, packed the steps again. And uh, I think the, the critical last time I went through the steps is in step four, knowing that we don't just write, rewrite in four, right? right. Um, but you know, that part in page 67 where we, uh, you know, asks us to take a kindly and tolerant view uh, of, of um, someone that may have um, uh, uh, pressed against us, right? right? Understanding that that person is sick too. Yep. And my sponsor would tell me, would you punch a guy in a wheelchair when, mm -hmm. when we got to the, end of the big book in step four? And that was a kick in the gut, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I like being right. I love to drown in self-righteousness, right? Right. I want to prove that I'm right and you're wrong and I'll do it to, uh, to, at, at your detriment. And, um, you know, to, to all of a sudden realize that person is spiritually sick too, just like me puts us on the same playing field. And it, yeah. it takes me off my, my, my pedestal. Right. Right. And get down to, okay, you know what? We're, we're both sick people. Uh, and the only solution for spiritually sick people is, is, as a, as a, is a higher power. It, that's pulled into the situation and um, understanding that it, there's a prayer for fear and um, a prayer for sex relations. And, you know, I, and I don't want people to think sex relations is this kind of taboo physical thing. It's more about how did I act in the relationship? Right. Right. You know, uh, was I considerate? Right. You know, was I selfish? Right. Yeah, did I arouse jealousy or suspicion? It's not about the number of people. And, uh, you know, just going through that again. And that, looking at um like also praying for the proper relationship right and uh just going through the fifth step again was was huge and then when i went through my sixth and seventh step he, he said something to me that was kind of a kick in the gut he said when you look at defects of character you have to ask yourself how do you treat people that you're angry with yeah <laughs> and uh you know i'm not the best at that you know i'm and that was a kick in the gut. And I, I think I got these kick in the guts at the right time. And, and, um, and then, you know, eight, nine, uh, mains to, to my kid. And, um, um, and then I really involved in, in, uh, in, uh, 10 and 11, 12, uh, doing 10 and 11, my 11 step, uh, practice has, has grown dr drastically, um, uh, during the pandemic, you know, I, I would do my prayer and my meditation. Um, and then I kind of started the Wim Hof prayer, uh, Wim Hof breathing. Yeah. But, um, you know, when we hit the pandemic, um, all of a sudden the, the meditation piece was more important, right? Like, yeah. like I, I, I had to really be present if that makes sense. Right. Like I didn't have any wiggle room not to be present, if that if that makes sense. Um, um, and then I just really and it, what's weird about meditation, it's it's you can't push it, right? It's just you just gotta be. You know what I mean? 
Yep. It's not like CrossFit class, you know, right. there's no points for like doing 40 minutes versus 30 minutes or 10 minutes. Right. It's not something you can put on the, on the, on the pedals. Go, hey, I meditated more than you today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or I it's meditated kind of a weird really thing, hard meditation where it's like, it's not about bragging. It's just, being. Uh, so, you know, I, I got to really, um, practice that more. And it's just weird where my 11th step took me. Um, you know, I, if you asked me a year and a half ago, would I be doing Wim Hof breathing as part of my 11th step? I tell you, there's no way. If you asked me, would I be jumping in the ocean morning? Like I do now as part of my 11th step, I no way, right. In cold water. Right. Right. Um, but you know, that's where my 11th step took me, you know, where I, 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 um, when I get up in the morning is I do a guided meditation for at least 10 minutes. If time permits 20, but in 10 minutes, um, I have one talk me through of this past meditation because there's no dogma or, or theology or anything just about me, my thoughts and my breath. Right. And, um, I do that. Then I, I, uh, I do my Wim Hof breathing. Um, I'll do anywhere from you know, two to three rounds at the house. Um, I'll do my prayer. And what I pray, I, I praise God. So I'll just say, Hey God, you're an awesome God. You're a merciful God. You're a graceful God. Um, you're a God of second chances. Um, and then I will, um, ask him to remove my, my, uh, my defects of character and or sin. Right. And then, um, and then I do a gratitude list. And I say, thank you, God, for my sobriety. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you for the fellowship. Uh, thank you for the ocean. Um, yeah, so I just start thanking God. Um, and then I get into, um, um, you know, uh, God uh, divorced me from self-pity, self-seeking, um, selfish, dishonest motives. Um, uh, God removed my resentment and fear. Um, yep. Help me pause when agitated. Um, when fear crops up, help me, um, 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 you know, help me, uh, God, I don't believe I'm blanking here, but, um, uh, remove my fear and direct your attention to what height, what you'd have me be. Right? right. Yep. And then I start praying for people that piss me off, you know, uh -huh. like people that I'm angry with. Right. Right. Or I disagree with, I pray for them. Right. Um, and, uh, and then I do my Wim Hof breathing. Um, I mean, excuse me. And then I go drive to the ocean. And then, um, you know, depending on the day I zoom into a meeting or I am able to do a live meeting literally where I do my cold plunge. So oh, really? we have cool. a meeting there Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday mornings. It, yeah. It's a men's meeting. And, um, you know, and the, I feel like I'm blessed, right. After yeah. I go to do my 11 step, there's a, there's a live meeting right there. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge blessing that, to have that where I'm at. Um, and, uh, I, 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 I'm just so blessed that I have these opportunities and, and then I have to keep in mind that I need to give this away, right? Like I, I can't hold on to this miracle, right? I have to give it to people, um, that are, that are, that are in need, right? Um, and, and there, there was so long where I, I didn't want to give it away. You know, I thought I was too busy to give it away. Right. 
I had all these reasons why I, I can't um, be of service or, or take people through the steps or share what was freely given to me. I mean, and when I think about that and I think about how selfish and self-centered I was, that, that I, I was not willing to share this, um, that, you know, that's a frightening thought to me that that's what I was for a long time, even in sobriety. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Where I, um, because I didn't earn any of this, you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, I, I studied hard, got into Harvard, got this medical degree and therefore, Hey, you know, therefore I earned all this, right. right. It's, you know, it's a situation where I was a pretty messed up dude in a, in a series of messed up situations and my life got redeemed through working the 12 steps. Right. Pure and grace. Yeah. It is pure grace, man. I, you know, I, I was, I was talking the other day about, you know, karma and grace, you know, mm -hmm. thank God I'm not living on karma. Cause I'd be screwed. You know, yeah. if it's just about like, um, you, you, um, you know, w what you put out is what you get back. I'd be so screwed. I got grace, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember the old timers would say, we don't get what we deserve. We get what we need. That, yeah. that is so true. Yep. Uh, you know, I, and I, it's not just my life. I've seen it so many people's lives in, 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 in the rooms of AA where you go, okay, thank God we didn't get what we deserve, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, absolutely. And you know, that, uh, that 12 step part of it and, you know, so much of what you're saying and, uh, and it feels, uh, and so what I'm, I'm almost hearing you say is like that this big stride, a huge big stride has been made this particular year in your recovery and you've been sober 28 years and a big jump has been made just this year, you know, and that gives me, you know, that, that I love hearing those stories too. You know, that there's no, one of the things I love about 12 steps is there's no finish line. Like I'm not going to get to some point and have to like, say, what do I do next? because I can always go deeper and I can always add to my program and continue to make it fresh and, uh, and keep from getting stale in recovery. Uh, my sponsor, so much of the way you walked us through the steps is a lot of is, is very m much the way that I heard it too, uh, six years ago in my first trip. And I was willing and, and, uh, because of circumstances, much like you, you know, I was staring at a six to 20 year <laughs> prison sentence, uh, for burglary. And, uh, and, and I really didn't think that the 12 steps was going to save me. Uh, but I didn't have anything else. Mm -hmm. There was no other life where I have to round. And that's the only one I climbed up on. It's the only one available to me. And, uh, so I had that dose of desperation in my, in my heart to, to, do something to stay out of prison. Cause I knew I didn't want to do that. And, uh, and, and, and I got delivered this wonderful, effective way to go through the steps, uh, in a short amount of time, you know, and, and I, and I was just so open book that I just, I just did everything he told me to do. You know, I didn't, I didn't really balk at anything. Uh, and, and then just like that, he said, okay, you're going to start sponsoring people. And at six months of sobriety, uh, I got a sponsee sitting across the table from me, having no idea, feeling completely in, uh, unprepared and inadequate to do that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that was what really, really drove home to me. The effectiveness of this is whenever somebody is failing as my, myself, that I could lay these tools out and that guy could pick them up and his life was dramatically changed just like mine was. Uh, not until I actually watched that happen to another person 
when I knew I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> did I, did, did I really start beginning to understand the, the true power that is in this work and what it does? It doesn't make any difference uh, how smart you are, or what, uh, you know, how smart you think you are. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter uh, how good you do them. That's not a, that's not a requirement. It's just a requirement that you do them. Uh, now, you know, uh, yeah. There is a thorough part of it, definitely, Bill. And then Bill wrote in that fourth or fifth chapter said, uh, you know, thoroughly followed their path. There's a thoroughly portion of it that definitely is, but uh, but there's no grading system. So there's not like you're going to get uh, better recovery because you got a better grade in the fifth step or something. You know, you see what I'm getting at? That it's, it's those aren't the dynamics that work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, what's interesting to me is when people um, say, hey, the 12 steps don't work. It, to me, it's kind of like someone blaming the gym for them being out of shape. You know what Amen. I mean? Yeah. You know, um, generally when I hear people say that, oh, the 12 steps don't work, then I've never seen anyone that really thoroughly worked the 12 steps and say that. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And I've never um, heard anybody say this either. I say, if you work the 12 steps, I'm still good. Uh, I, one of the things that I always say, I've oh. never, ever heard anybody say, uh, I never have heard anybody work the 12 steps and say, I wish I hadn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were getting ready to say, if you work these steps. For me, it's just like understanding that you're going through a process and, um, you know, God's going to take you, um, to, uh, uh He's going to expand your world at a minimum, right? At a minimum. And if you're serious about this, doing the steps and you understand that it's, it's necessary for your sobriety, right? So I need to know um, deep within my soul that these are the things I need to do to treat my alcoholism. And a huge part of me treating my alcoholism is, is treating my anger, my resentments and my fears, right? And my judgment and my opinions, right? Um, then all of a sudden I can be more present to what God has. Right. Um, and you know, I, I think it's scary when people will pat themselves on the back for years of physical sobriety, but not do anything about the, the mental and emotional piece of the sobriety or the spiritual piece of the sobriety. And they can justify anger and resentment and, and that kind of stuff where it's like, you know, it's not where I want to be. Right. Yeah, and based right. on my, my journey through the 12 steps, it's, I, I know how dangerous it is for me to be in that space. So if I'm in that space and I'm not at, at a minimum praying about it or sharing that with another alcoholic, um, that's dangerous ground for me, you yeah. know? And, yeah. um, it, it took me a long time to, to understand that. Yeah. You know, God landed me in the middle of a bunch of men. And I heard you say that you're, that you go to this men's meeting. Uh, and, and I really needed that badly. And what, what I found myself now with is a group of men around that I'm, that I'm living life with where we are open books with one another. I mean, we stay in contact with each other. Maybe some people and, and some of their spouses, I'm not married. 
my my current my current girlfriend is my girlfriend is in uh, has been sober longer than I have. Uh, so she understands what I'm doing and gives me complete, you know, gives me free reign to participate in my recovery, whatever level I need to do on any particular moment or day. But uh, some of them don't, some of the other spouses don't understand that level of connectedness that we have with one another and the way that we're able to keep our slates clean. And I love the, again, the, the shit bucket. Uh, we're able to keep our, our buckets empty uh, most of the time, you know, and then therefore when that's empty, we actually have the ability emotionally uh, to, to, to be present with whatever we happen to be into at the moment, whether that's taking our wife out to dinner or if that's playing with the kids or at my job or whatever. And it just, uh, it, it just allows me to uh, operate at a level that I almost feel like I'm not capable of in a way. Uh, I feel like I'm on some kind of high octane fuel that, that, you know, uh, feels a little weird to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm operating at a level and I have time. you mentioned earlier about, uh, the excuse of like working with others and not having time, you know, I'm too busy to do that. And somehow, uh, I have this time to do an amazing, I have enough time to do an amazing amount of stuff. And when I sit down at the end of the day or the end of the week, I'm not exhausted from it where I would have been. I would have used to wear myself out in a day, you know, I, I, I would be done. And now I, I lay down at night, you know, and I'm still feel like, you know, my cup is full and I'm, and I'm, I, I, I think, boy, I have energy to do something else, but I really need to go to bed so I can get up and do this again tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's a whole new source for my life. Just so folks understand, uh, we do have, and I'll probably put a little thing on the front end of this, that all through this, there's some delay as I, and I think it's mostly from my end to Jung, uh, that uh, there's a, there's a delay by, I can hear my voice in his microphone finish talking. <laughs> Can you hear me, John? Oh yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, um, yeah, this, um, the best way I could describe current state and where I'm at right now is that, um, you know, I, I am definitely experiencing 10, 11 and 12 in my life steps, 10, 11 and 12 in my life right now. And, uh, you know, understanding, a, a, a good understanding of God's grace today, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, I always wonder why God is giving me the life I have today. And, you know, at first it was like, why am I getting this? What, what do I deserve to do? What did I, what did I do to deserve this? Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I realized it's, it's not about what I deserve is that God is giving me this to share this. That's, and that's why when I, I share, I said, I'm here to share the miracle with you. Yeah. You know, um, you know, cause I did a lot of things wrong and poorly and, and, uh, you know, I committed crimes and, you know, um, there's, there's things past where I don't regret it because I think um, gives validity to the program of, of, of and the 12 steps. And it gives validity to that there is a God, right? right? You know, if you think that there isn't a God um, in my life, then I, I'm not going to have that debate with you. You know, you can believe what you want to believe, but um, 
that's pretty hard to argue you know? yep. um, where there's just too many weird coincidences in my life where for, for me to say there is no God yeah. and for me to live in opposition to, to God, you know, I, I think God is, has taken me through this path because he wants me to share this so that other people understand that, that he is real and that he can provide a solution to their problems not me, God, right? Right. Like I don't have solutions to people's problems. I can show you what God did in my life and, and the steps he had me take. And I hope I, I, my hope is that you get that same thing that I got. Right. Yeah. I am so happy when, when people experience something, uh, it's a legitimate happiness when, mm-hmm. um, and I give you an example when, when people go into the cold water for the first time and they understand why I do it. Right. I am so happy for them. I don't charge them a dime. I don't care. You know, um, you, you know, I don't, I don't make a name for myself or anything like that. You know, it's the pure joy of knowing that you're, you're experiencing something that that's transforming your life. And it's very similar with the 12 steps. You know, um, I, I, I get joy when one of my sponsees takes action to help another alcoholic. Um, you know, I don't direct them to do that. They just, they did that on their own because they felt, they felt the grace of, of, of this program and God and, and working these steps. Uh, so they feel the need to, to, to freely share, right. There's no guilt or shame involved in, in, in their actions. You know, it's just the, the, the experience of, of, of having God work in, um, big in their lives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, man, I, um, you know, I, I, I'm overpaid man in, yeah. in life. And, um, you know, um, I look at where my, my kids are today and I'll circle back the whole Notre Dame thing. <laughs> um, so I have two kids at Notre Dame. Um, uh, you know, I think God has a sense of humor. Um, you know, I, I even had a resentment against Notre Dame for many years because they didn't play in a conference. I bet they could still play for a national championship. I didn't think that was fair. And, yeah, right. uh, uh, you know, and uh, the night before my son's application was due for uh, Notre Dame, he asked if, if, um, if he should apply to Notre Dame. And I, I said, yeah, you know, I heard it's a good school. Right. And he applied and um, they offered him a tremendous uh, uh, package to go there. Um, and uh, so he's there. And then my daughter, um, she didn't want to go and, uh, you know, she applied and she had to choose between all these different schools and it fit all her criteria in terms of what she's looking for in a school. So she's there now. So, um, you know, God has a sense of humor. And and what's funny is, um, um, a few months ago, I reached out to that first lawyer and, uh, I, I thanked him for directing me to AA. I, I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm 28 years sober. And I want to thank you for directing me to AA. I now have two kids at Notre Dame as well. And he was happy to hear that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, if you ask me 30 or excuse me, 30, I'm, I'm kind of rounding up here, you know, 28 years ago, would I call that lawyer up again? Because I thought he was a bad lawyer. Um, and you know, he didn't commit the crime. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yep. He, he was just doing what he thought he should do as a lawyer. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's funny how we like to blame people. 
Um, but, um, you know, I thanked him because at the end of the day, that piece of advice, go to AA, has drastically changed my life right? in, in ways that are unmanageable. Yeah. You know, I, I talk to my daughter, my, my kids on a regular basis. I have that relationship with my kids mm-hmm. where they want to talk to me. And um, I didn't have that going up. You know, I didn't have that kind of connection with my parents. Um, and to have that is a huge gift. You know, like the gift of family is huge. Yes. And uh, I, oh man, it's, it's crazy what we get. Yep. To have a life of purpose, you know, where you feel, you know, useful and, and, you know, I say, uh, you know, I, I, I honestly, you know, I really had trouble for a while believing that I deserve to breathe the same oxygen as the rest of the people did that, that I had done things that, uh, were that, that couldn't be redeemed that, and, and now, uh, you hear, you know, I get to be a, a good son to my father who lives with me and I get to make sure that he's doing okay. Um, he's in really good health, so he doesn't take a lot of care, but he has somebody here and my mom passed away a few years ago and, uh, and he was lonely. If they, if my mom had made it, um, just a few more months, they would have celebrated 50 years of marriage Wow! and, uh, and she passed away and, and, and it hurt dad really bad. And, uh, and he was lonely and, and now he lives here with me and he's not lonely anymore. You know, he's get, so I get to do that. And it's another one of these blessings, one of these miracles that I look at today that, uh, had I not take that path six years ago, there's no way I could be here for him today. And I get to be a parent to my kids today. They are uh, 15 and 17 and they got a good dose of a sick dad. And I, and I do see the damage that I did. So I, I do have to uh, uh, reconcile myself with, with that. But the flip side of that is, is I've also seen that as I've healed, so have they. And, uh, and, and I get to, and I have a really good relationship with them today. There was a period of time where they were scared to stay with me and they were right. It was, it wasn't safe to be with me when shortly after their mom and I divorced, uh, I was a mess and, uh, just all the places that I actually get to be, you know, a, a, a useful purpose, purposeful human being today, uh, to think about where, where guys like me and you came from and, and, and where we get to, you know, where we get to be today. I really love those words get to, you know, all that stuff about have to do this and have to do that. And I got to do this and I got to do that. Uh, that is not in my vocabulary anymore today. I get to do all kinds of amazing things. Um, and it's just, it's transformational. Oh, amen to that, man. Yeah. I mean, given where we were and where we're at today and, and just the experience God's grace, the whole thing um, is amazing, you know? Um, and it's just weird how the actions we take, it's not governed by um, something that that's like ego fulfilling, right? It's, we experience a miracle, we share the miracle, you know, yeah. and um, it, it's a really good place to be, you know, where you know you're giving this because it was freely given to you. And um, I, I've just received so many gifts, especially in the last last 12 months, you know, um, like going into the ocean every morning has been a huge lesson in, in acceptance and harmony 
Um, and what I've learned is that when you're in the cold water, the, the only thing you can really do is breathe and the breathing is going to get you through. And what I've learned is as long as I'm breathing, I'm good. Right. Right. I have everything I need as long as I'm breathing. And, um, I seen stuff come and go in my life and the people around me, you know, I've seen some hot shots lose, um, you know, good chunks of money, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it really doesn't matter, you know, cause if you're breathing, you, you can, you, you got another shot at it. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see people that go out and they're, they're all bummed out about themselves. And it's like, wait, you're breathing, man. You got another shot at recovery, you know? Yeah. And so that's a huge lesson for me. And then also, um, I learned that the ocean doesn't care about what I think, what I feel, <laughs> who I used to be, who I want to be. It's going to do what it does. And uh, if I'm not in harmony with it, I'm going to have some serious problems. So I better get in harmony with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, and to that I have to pay fighting. attention to what's coming up on the horizon. Yeah, you have to be present. You know, you got to worry about the stingrays on, on, on the sand and you got to worry about the waves crashing on top of you. And then there's some days where you look at it and you go, you know what? I can't go in the water today. And that's okay. You know? Yeah. Yep. Um, and I've learned a lot of acceptance through that process. Um, a lot of what it means to be in harmony with, with um, the environment and the people around me. And, you know, ex- in, in, in accepting, you know, because you always hear that in meetings. Oh, you got to just practice acceptance. And I realized right. acceptance is not a beginning of the process thing. It's more of an end of the process thing, right? Right. Um, you know, we have to do certain things to get to a place of acceptance. Right. When we work, the, it's easier to get to a place of acceptance. When we, uh, certain spiritual activities or, 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 uh, or practices, we're, it'll teach us to get to a place of acceptance, right? It's not our natural default mode. Um, and I'm so grateful that God took this path of understanding acceptance, you know, I, I love to be mental and self-righteous and play the victim. And then when I get to a place of acceptance, people aren't doing things to me. That's just how they operate, right? Mm-hmm. Just how the ocean is, what it is. People are what they are. And learning to accept that was huge for me. You know, um, you know, the guy that cuts me off in traffic, he's not doing that to me. Right. He just, yep. that's how he drives. Yeah. You know? Yep. And I just um, happened to be and, there at uh, that time coming to that realization yep. whoever would have been in the car in that position so, at that time that guy would have done the exact same thing he is not aiming at me you know uh not no longer playing this victim role you know where these like you said these things are happening to me to me you know and that is that root of self-centeredness that selfishness self-centered uh, self-obsessed that, you know, everything that's going on in the world is a direct, a, a direct insult at me, you know, that it's, and that's me, 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 me. I mean, that's a, when you say the root of our troubles, uh, that goes right along with it. I love to uh, really relate with the way that you talk in some analogies and that you pull these things around, like how the ocean water and the acceptance and the stop fighting, you know, you can't go in there and fight that you have to, and, and the breathing, I just love, I don't know, there's something that, that resonates and, and hits my, hits my soul's uh, guitar strings when, when, when you bring those points yeah, it's, to bear. It's, it's funny when you go there with the, the younger, more muscular guys, um, because, you know, 
I guess I was like that at their age too. You think I'm strong. Um, so therefore I can, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's not about how strong you are, you know, right. uh, it, it's about you're, you giving yourself over to the breathing and giving yourself over to the process. Um, and, um, just breathing deep and that's, what's going to get you through this. It's not how strong you are or right. how much willpower you have. You know, it's about, um, just accepting the situation, uh, being one with the situation and, um, going the most, the important thing for our existence, breathing. And, and then just, um, go through that process of breathing properly in this situation. Right. And then, um, which you know, is that carries over into day-to-day profound. life. You know, that transfers over oh, yeah. to day-to-day life when life on life terms happened. Uh, now I can do the same thing I do when I hit that cold water, you know, what I do, I say, okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and fight it. Uh, I'll remember to breathe. And, and then I get to one of the big miracles in my life is having some life on life's term stuff. My mom died when I was 13 months sober. Um, my daughter's been through some pretty horrible things and, uh, and, my reaction to those things, being able to walk through stuff in a healthy manner is some of the biggest uh, miracles of this whole thing. Cause it just feels completely out of body that like uh, uh, my ability to be the healthy one today. <laughs> uh, it, it, it simply amazes yeah. me. And it, it's weird too. Um, when you get to this place where you um, you, you kind of accept things all of a sudden the people around you change, right. Or, yep. you know, it, it's, it, you know, it's not you pushing them to, to change. It's just you accepting them as, as they are. Um, and then you just being fully present to, to what's going on. And then you, you start seeing God work. Right. Uh, and, you know, I always want the, the, the burning bush experience with God and parting the Red Seas. And, you know, I'm sure those experiences happen, but for me, it's, it's the subtle things and being present to the subtle things and, and seeing God work in, in, in the nuances of, of, of the moment where mm-hmm. I think it's, it, it's precious that we, we have these tools so that we can, we can um, experience those nuances. So yeah, man, I, God, it's, it's crazy what we get, you know? <laughs> It is. It is crazy. Uh, and, you know, and, and truly, I can say this with all my heart. My number one um, drive in life today is to actually get this to as many people as I can possibly get it to. I do this woodworking gig and I go around and do the handyman deal so I can continue to have a roof over my head and pay for the things the kids need and uh, do all that. But the the financial gain in life for this for for me has uh has left and my drive really is is to carry this message because i watched uh it's an ability to change the world when somebody will take yeah. this, you know one person at a time and then what you're saying you know you see some some guy comes to you and asks you to sponsor him 
and uh, because he likes what you shared in the meeting today, you know, and that's how you two come together. And you don't, I don't know if I'm a, you know, I don't know what's up with this dude, but we start talking every day on the telephone and his life starts bending slowly. And then I find out, you know, he's on the edge of divorce. He's about to lose his job. He's got two young kids that are going to suffer greatly if he keeps on this path and he turns the corner. And then the next thing you know, that ripple effect that comes out of that one guy, haven't picked up these tools and I get to play just a little part in it. I take no credit other than my service. I'm, I did stand up and say, yes, but yeah. I believe that I was guided to that. Uh, and I'm just doing what I'm guided to do. There is there, there just is nothing in this world as fulfilling to me as, as to watch this stuff change families lives, not just the drunk, the whole family and the people around them, their employer. Oh, yeah. benefits, Wholeheartedly, you know? man. Hey. The the miracle that we get to witness, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it in your own your own meetings, man. You see people that like the rest of the world will, would write off and say, "There's no way that that person's ever gonna ever get sober or, or transform their lives." That you know, they say that's this is an impossible, hopeless situation, and that when you see all those turn around, right? They come in, they take the tools that they're given, uh, they work the steps. Uh, you know, they take coffee commitments or whatever else it is. They apply those same principles into a work situation. They apply those same principles into a relationship situation and their lives transform and you see it in front of your eyes. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like some story you're reading in an ancient book. Nope. You're seeing it right in front of you, like play right. out. Yep. And, yep. And That's exactly what I'm talking about. It. So it's not like this. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen so many of those. And, you know, I've been to meetings all over the United States and, and like, these experiences that we see are not these outliers. You know what I mean? It's not no. like, oh, that just only happens in, in Des Moines, Iowa. It happens all over the United States and all over the world. world. We, we see these miracles happen because they, yeah, all over the world where these things happen. And you're like, oh, and then there's a common thread to all of them, right? It, it's like, oh, okay. They, they worked the steps. They were of service, right? They, they shared the miracle and their lives transformed, right? And yep. You know, if someone wants to say there's no way God is working in these situations, you know, that's yeah. that's kind of on them. I, I don't you know, I, I can't make you see God. Um, you know, I, I hope you can see God. I hope you experience God. I hope you get what what we got. I my my sincere hope is you get it because it's there. <laughs> you know yeah. What I mean? yeah. It is there. It is so um you go to enough meetings, you, you meet enough people, you hear enough stories and you witness enough stories and, you know, not enough just to hear, to hear it. But if you see that person come in day one and that you see the day 365, day 600, day 700, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that, you know, accumulation of days is yeah. and you see them, um, like restore relationships, clean up the past, lead useful lives. And you're like, Oh, okay. This is what happens here. I used to like love to call my meetings, the miracle factory. No doubt. I mean, you've seen it, right? I mean, like someone comes in, they, they used to be a prostitute. They get sober. Right. And then they meet a fine outstanding person. They get married, have kids, they're, you know, they're productive in, in, in little league PTA. No one knows their past. No one needs right. to know their past. It's irrelevant. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's only helpful to that al alcoholic that might be suffering that same guilt and shame for living that past. 
right? Yeah. Yep. Um, because who who that person is today, that's all that matters, and that's what's beautiful about our program. Because like your past only matters in the sense that it helps another alcoholic get through right. the hoop. Yep. And um, to be able to live that and see that, experience that is like, oh damn, man. We see God on a daily basis. Yep. Experience you know? it. Experience God. Yeah. Yeah. We experience God. Yeah. And um, I don't know what price you put on that, right? You yeah. can't put a price on that. You can't. You know, because you know. miserable people that live in big houses and drive nice cars. And it's like, I don't want that. Nope. I, I really don't want that. I don't need to, I don't need that. You know, I yep. have everything I need. That's insane, right? Yep. And you can't take this we away have from me what either. we need. And yeah. Um, you and know, I've it's been to, free. Yeah. <laughs> That's I've what's been, crazy. You know what I mean? It's free. Yep. People spend thousands you know, and thousands of dollars I've on never therapy. Charged anyone to, I'm sorry, go ahead. People spend thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars on therapy, on various kind of things that they spend money on. And we've got this program sitting over here that if you want to, you put a buck or two in the hat when, uh, when you can, uh, you know, it's virtually free and, and it has such a success ratio. That's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, they try to put that thing out there, you know, and the naysayers will try to put the, the success rate at really low. Uh, the, it, the, the truth is the people who actually will take it and implement it is really low. And that's what they're calling this failure rate. The people who actually do this, they, the, the success you, rate is out the roof. It's the, but we'll get tossed in with the people who won't come, won't come in and, and, and implement the tools and they get called failures. You know, that, 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 that gets factored into our, to, to the 12 yep. steps success ratio. And it's not, it's, it's an unfair, uh, judgment. And yeah, you know, I have been to, uh, meetings, uh, in various countries. I've sit in a meeting in Japan where I couldn't understand a word anybody was saying, and they couldn't understand a word I was saying, and it didn't fucking matter. It didn't matter. Yeah. Amen uh, to that. Power was the same power was there. I just got chill run up down my spine just thinking about that day. Uh, it was just, it was a, it was a miracle day and you using the word miracle a lot. And Bill uses it in the book too. He says something to the fact of what can you call these, but miracles. Uh, I was told early on in, in my recovery, so many unexplainable things were happening in my life. And my sponsor suggested I start writing them down. And now I oh, have wow. a big giant miracle list over the past six years and I add to uh -huh. it and, and I keep it. And it's like a long-term gratitude list, sort of, you know, it's, it's got these things. Cause I would forget them. Uh -huh. I, I really would forget about these things and I do forget about them, but I get that list back out, man. And I look at these things and I'm like, man, I forgot all about that. And uh, if I dump that, if I get that miracle list out to some guy that, you know, like you were talking about, that just comes walking into the AA meeting and he's in his, you know, he just now got here. If I got that miracle list out, I would, he would, he would call bullshit. And I think he'd leave because there's no way the stuff that's on my list could happen to a guy in the amount of time I've been doing this. It's, it's not possible. And I call it my miracle list. Uh, it's, it's, and, you know, another miracle in my life is, is that I have this opportunity to hand these tools to that, that part of our community that doesn't struggle with substance abuse. So, like, not only is it working for alcoholics, it's working for these people who don't have, you know, that don't do that. They just want something better in life, you know. 
they're recovering from some kind of trauma. You know, something happened to them, just like you were, just like you spoke to about when you were young. And uh, I, I really do like this uh, this idea of us being spiritually sick. Right? That's what happened to us. Our, and I don't mean that uh, there is a there is some kind of external external spiritual element to that that I call God. But there's also this spirit that resides inside of me that makes me me and it makes you yours makes you you. And that spirit is the one that got sick. Mm -hmm. It got it actually got ill. And and I do believe mm -hmm. this is a disease. And when that gets ill, yeah. it acts like a computer virus or a parasite and it hijacks my operating system and causes me to do things that I wouldn't be doing if I wasn't if I hadn't been invaded by this uh by this force whatever that is i don't i don't quite understand what it is but i know it is uh and then i come in here and do this and it heals that spiritually sick soul and uh and it, and it doesn't make any difference if you're an alcohol user or a drug user i, I did want to uh, you did you didn't mention any drugs in your past did you were you not did you somehow or another escape all that stuff um I did, I did smoke pot and smoke some hash. And yeah. um, what's weird about my experience with marijuana was um, I think around 17, every time I smoked, I throw up. So mm -hmm. I, I, um, I never, um, I don't, so it, it just ended kind of abruptly yeah. Yeah. at 17. Isn't that interesting? Um, and then what kept me from Coke was, um, I don't know if you remember Len Bias back in 1985. Sure. He was the number yeah. one draft pick for the Celtics. Yep. Um, so I was thinking about doing Coke and I asked a buddy of mine, Hey, what's it like to do Coke? And he said, you remember Len Bias? And I said, yeah, he goes, well, Coke is kind of weird. You know, you, you have a little bit of a buzz and you, you're, you're trying to push the buzz a little bit more. And the next, you know, you're in the, um, you're, you're in the, um, emergency room or the and I didn't like that. And I thought, yeah, yeah. And, and I thought that I could at least control alcohol, which, yeah. you know, kind of the delusion yeah. of the mind. Yeah, that yeah, is, you know, control I mean, either. You know, throwing up because I drank too much didn't stop me from drinking, you know, but it stopped me from smoking pot. Oh, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you, you know, that uh, that that's it, it is funny to watch how we uh, how we navigated or thought we were managing things. Uh, it, it's it, uh, it was interesting. I know some people come on a podcast and this is a, this is a recovery podcast. Uh, there, some people come in with the AA traditions pretty heavily and want, you know, don't think they can talk about drugs. So they don't. Uh, but, but uh, what I'm wanting here is, uh, the honest, true story. And, uh, you sure gave a hell of one today. That is, Oh, I have much. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I have so much respect for what you share in, uh, in clubhouse. Cause when you start sharing, I was like, Oh yeah, he's, he's, he, he's, he's, you know, you know how, like some people share and you're kind of like, okay, whatever. It's, it's kind of conceptual. You know, you're kind of sharing your philosophy or your beliefs about something, but like you took people through this, the, 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 this 12 step process and hearing that was like music to my ears because not so much about being in a position of righteousness, like, oh, we're doing it the right way, but I know you experienced what I experienced. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm speaking kind of in, in a broad picture. Of course, um, you know, I'm pitting with a broad, broad prankster. I get You're going to experience something different than me, but we're experiencing the same power, right? The same power is going to have paint different murals for different people. But I know that that power painted a mural for you many, many times. And I like that he painted 
because I could tell that he painted that mural based on your shares. Yeah, and well, so you. I was like, oh yeah, I was like, damn, he's he's sharing it, man. He's sharing it. And you're like, and it's exciting to hear because you know when you hear that 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 person is sharing it, right? Like someone else is getting that, right? And so right. no, someone else is is experiencing power in their lives that that's doing transformative things. And and you're like, okay, man, that's so cool that this guy in Indiana is doing this and he's impacting lives. And, um, and and it's cool because we're not the only people doing it. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, there's other people in the world doing this deal, sharing it. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like the affinity you have for people that do this, where it's like, Oh man, he's doing it. He's sharing it. He's sharing it for free. He's, he's doing it because he's been um, experiencing the grace of God and no other reason. Right. And right. Um, that's what's, what's beautiful about hearing your share. Well, thank you. I felt you know, the exact was, same oh, way about he's, you. He's, he's, he's legit. I felt the exact oh, same you. way about you and, uh, and some others, you know, and uh, just like you said, and it's not to single anybody out. I don't want to leave anybody out, but you know, I hear that. And I think that's part of the six. Oh, no, and the there's, there's some other really good shares I heard in clubhouse where I go, damn, yep. that guy's doing it. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's like, I want to round all y'all up and we all get together for a little while. You know, that's, that's the feeling I get when I hear that. Cause I'm like, those are my kin. So there, those are my, my brothers and sisters that are, that, that understand it the way that I have been receiving it. Uh, and by all appearances, they're receiving it in the same way or other, otherwise that voice wouldn't be there with that conviction uh, yeah. and power. And, and uh, just to, and, you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, when I first came to AA, I heard you say when you first came to AA. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, if you ask me the same way about people taking people through the steps, I'd tell you you're 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 out of your mind. You know that that would be something that would give me such joy. Um, you know, I I think that that's silly. Why why would why would that give someone any kind of joy? And then once you've been through the miracle, you go, oh, that's why. Yeah. You know, and that's that's like you were saying. Like there's the people that in clubhouse outside of clubhouse wherever where they're doing it and it's like oh okay yep and that's god that I, is, god is at work man through yep. these people that's the root of the attraction principle here you know uh i feel responsible to project an attractive view of what has happened for me you know, uh, I don't, I don't do it on purpose. It's mm-hmm. not like I sit in the mirror and practice this stuff. Uh, I believe God gave me some kind of gift here. I don't, I don't, from the, from the, when I first started getting this thing and sharing about it, people started going, uh, coming up to me and talking to me about, man, I really, really dug what you said, you know? And I'm like, well, I was just talking, you know, I just, just expressing my feelings, uh, and, and the way I see it. And, uh, and I really do think it's a responsibility. I, I I've been, I think it would be a sin if I was not to give this away. I've been given something very, very powerful and, uh, and, and it'd be selfish and, uh, and, and not per God's plan. If I was to like sit on it and hoard it up myself, uh, that big, Amen. so many cool things in it. And one of my very favorite lines is, is that, uh, this has got a, uh, that, that we've just barely scratched a limitless load. And the only requirement is that we mine it the rest of our lives and be willing to give the entire product away. That is one of my favorite lines in the big book. And, uh, and cause it's the way I live. Oh, that is for sure, man. I, I am uh, like, 
you know, it, it's it's crazy that you know I'm I'm doing a podcast with someone in Indiana. You know, we we never met um, in person, but then we're having a deep, meaningful conversation um, about, I mean, the most powerful force in in the universe, right? The creator of the universe, right? Yeah. And how how this force has worked in our lives and the people around us, and and um, you know, I. I don't know how else that happens, right? Like where else yep. does that happen where Nowhere. we can have this level of depth and conversation about everything in our past and, and even the bad stuff where it's like, it's not a big deal. You yep. know what I mean? Like my past is the past, your past is the past. It, I mean, it, it's irrelevant to who you are today. And it, it, it has, it has no um, uh, impact on my view of you today. You know right. what I mean? It's like, yep. yeah, because you and I were in the same boat, man. We were sick puppies with no solution. Yeah. And um, now that we have solutions, it's like, oh, yeah, damn. Yep. And I believe that uh, I really feel compelled that, uh, you know, part of my my mission is I went through the Mankind Project and uh, and in that we develop a mission. And I really like that. It's a program. It's it's uh I think it's a great supplement to the 12 steps and part of keeping on adding on to my, my learning and my growth. And, uh, basically in a nutshell, what it is, is men helping men become better men and, uh, embracing healthy masculinity. And, uh, and in that we developed a mission statement, you know, and you really did a lot of work around that. And you go on an initiation weekend where you're gone for uh, three days and you feel like a spaceship is taking you away and brings you back in three days and uh such a powerful program there too but i wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to uh do what i did there had i not had this 12-step foundation under me when i went and uh and my mission today is really is it's to guide people towards their true purpose in life through these 12 steps uh it's as simple as that and this podcast began and uh and i keep my ear in the wind for people who are carrying it the way that i like you and and jason was on the other day and he'll be on next sunday his his will come out next oh, awesome. sunday and uh yeah we sat here uh, a couple days and 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 did the same thing me and you're doing and my vibration raises up you know i'm all juice we call it juice i'm all juiced up now you know my cup is full after having this conversation with you you know my i'm, I'm topped off you know i'm ready to uh I'm ready to roll. You know, the, the, the high octane fuel is coursing through my veins and, uh, and I love it. Um, it's so, it, it's interesting. This podcast does that, you know, cause most of my guests come in a little bit apprehensive about what they're going to get into. And then by the end of this thing, I feel like I got a new best <laughs> friend, you know, <laughs> I like, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. And it's funny you bring up Jason. Jason is, um, so we got sober this year right about the same age where the yep. pretty much the same number of years of sobriety right yep, yep. he was talking about how it was 28 years his best year i feel the same way mm. um, another another uh fact uh is um the same aa group at times in la so i we missed each other right oh wow so that's so cool it's, yeah is that is that wild that um, we bump into each other one night when I jump into clubhouse, I, I call him my white twin because it's just weird that so many aspects of our sobriety are very similar. And we are at the same place, just at slightly different times. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, experiencing the same thing. 
yeah it was just like oh okay you know mm-hmm. god's laughing like okay how, you know, hey, let me throw this one at you jung yeah and that's it goes back to that thing you said earlier about the about the guy who uh nearly lost his life in the bar you know it's inches and seconds again you know if inches and seconds yeah. had been different you all would have bumped into each other uh uh, it's just really cool. I love, uh, you know, I don't know how, you know, you're talking about, well, if you believe in God and, and I could really stand here and say, you know, there's a piece of me, a logical piece of me that I, I don't know nothing, right. There's nothing, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know a thing, but I, that's the only, that's the only support that I could hang this life I have today on. I don't have anything else to explain it. And the same thing with these, you know, the way you talked and the laid out, the way your life went, the way, you know, in these, this, this securitist path to recovery that you had to be here in order to get there. And then when you got there, you, something happened to you and made you go over here. And, 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 and that's, I hear that story over and over again. It's too, it's, it's too fantastic not to be driven by something like a God, (laughs) you know, uh, I don't, I don't think, you know, we say in recovery, there's no, you know, I, I've heard it said, and I believe it that, you know, there, there are no coincidences. None of that can be, a, oh, yeah. that can't be a coincidence. And, um, and the same thing when I, when, when, when I, when I, when my ears in the wind and I hear somebody talking this recovery stuff, the way that I, the, the way that I want to project it on this podcast, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think I actually get a nudge from above that says, invite that guy on the podcast. I feel it. You know, and I think I'm being directed to do that so that we can carry this this brand of recovery because I don't, uh, there are different levels of recovery. Um, you know, you can just you you can come in and just barely get it, or you can get what I'm getting. It's available to you. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to like um, you know, like the the person that uh, that's out of shape, blame in the gym. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's like. Yep. You, you can't blame the gym, right? Yep. Right. You know, you want to blame, blame anybody. Yeah. You want to blame the 12 steps. Okay. You know, and, and there was a stretch in my recovery where I'd say, oh, well, hey, it's not what it is, you know, and it's like, no, I didn't, I didn't dive in deep enough, man. You know, and, and, um, I take responsibility for my recovery and how I'm experiencing it. I can't blame the 12 steps. I can't blame my sponsor. I can't blame the rooms of AA. I am responsible for, my experience and what what am i experiencing today right and usually if i don't like my experience it has nothing to do with anyone else or anything else except me right because i choose to live in self-will i choose to drown myself in my resentments i choose to be self-righteous instead of like saying okay i'm feeling this way what am i going to do with it right yeah like who am i going to talk to about it or am i going to just you know, uh, cry in the corner by myself and stick my thumb in my mouth and, and, and not share this and try to find a solution to this. Um, and, uh, you know, hearing guys like you and guys like Jason and, and, you know, and I'm sure there's a ton of other people in the world that are practicing these principles, um, and, and knowing that, Hey, you know what, there, there is a path out of the tunnel and, um, the people that are helping people out of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, that's what's cool about this where you're yeah. like, oh, okay. Cause you know, how God works in your life is going to be different than my life. Yep. We don't need to get in a theological debate because I just hear your experience and I know there's something working there. You know what I mean? And that's, right. what's cool about this. You know, I'm not going to sit there and go, Hey, you know, my, uh, um, 
uh, uh, my theology is right. Your theology is wrong. Right. You know, oh, you're doing it the wrong way or whatever. Right. Like, you know, it's just like God is working. And I know that you're doing these simple little 12 step principles. Right. You're taking people through it. And there you go. Right. Um, um, and that's what about this. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't need to get into any kind of theological debate. It's nope. What is your experience, man? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's what's cool. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic, man. Well, I could go on for a long time, but I think we we're crested over the two hour mark. And I try to keep around that range in my in my episodes. Uh, and this ain't a one and done either, man. I love to have people come back and talk to and and, and gel on this uh on on this whole thing that's going on in our lives because i don't think we can uh i want uh, basically want to shout it from the mountaintop um so um what i like to do is just offer up uh a moment if you uh have some final thoughts if there's a message you want to deliver to uh i call it a concluder uh a concluding thought or anything else that you want to need to say to get complete today um I'm inviting you to do that. Uh, the only thing that comes to mind is um, uh, the phrase, the routine, get the miraculous. And, you know, if, if someone's listening on here and, and they're thinking, ah, this, this doesn't make sense. There's no way I'm going to experience this. Um, trust God and ask him. And I promise you that you'll, you will, if you're sincere about your request, that, the right person, the right resource, something will come your way that will take you down the right path. Yeah, man, I believe that a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Whoo, man, I'm all juiced up. There's a, you said a term a couple of times during this, I'll do my little concluding thought. You said a couple of times during this podcast and I picked up on it, you said the collateral damage that was happening around you. Uh, what I have today is that like, I, I that has told that script has been completely flipped and now around me happens all this collateral benefit there's these good things from bouncing into dan you know when you used to bounce into dan you were going to get a bad result today i can honestly Mm. say that when you bounce into me it's collateral benefit and one of the collateral benefits of this podcast is i get a new friend uh that's a that's awesome thing in itself uh i get to know another brother in recovery better that is uh that deepens my connection with the with with this fellowship with the human race uh and those are all uh the collateral benefits of uh of doing this thing and uh i just really appreciate you coming on the show i love what you had to say today man and uh uh i'm all juiced up and i have two statements that i make and i close every single podcast with these two statements and uh i explain them over and over again i don't think i will do that today Uh, The first one is, if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. Amen. And the second one is, uh, I just want to thank everybody out there for allowing Jung and I to participate in our recovery in this manner today. Peace. Amen. Out.